Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Jared Ott. I'm one of the associate pastors here at the church. Uh, it is great to see you all here this morning. Hey, listen, before we get, begin, I want to thank uh, Ed Shuley uh, for, for uh, helping out this morning. Uh, if you don't know, we have a great creative services team here at the church. Uh, Ed, uh, Chris is back there, Jamie, our sound guy, Luke is over on the other side. We have a great group of volunteers that really put all this together uh, every, every week. They're really behind the scenes. If they were not here, Brad and I wouldn't even know where to go or when to go. So uh, we really appreciate them filling in. Yes, so they do. They, uh, they do a lot of work. They do a lot of work, uh, especially when uh, we have some pastors away. Obviously, as Ed uh, mentioned, uh, Robbie is our middle school pastor is getting married in Aruba. And uh, Jamie Kendrew, our other uh, pastor here, got to go and do the marriage. I got to do the premarital counseling here at the church. Uh, <laughs> Jamie got to go to there. Uh, that's great. I'm really happy for Jamie to get... Um, Robbie asked me to do the counseling here and Jamie and his wife to go to Aruba. So I'm happy for them in that paradise there. That was good. So, no, but we are here. We're glad that uh, you're here with us this morning. And uh, we do wish all the best for uh, Robbie and Jamie there. Hey, as we look at this passage this morning, we are in the series called One Another. And one of, what I want us to do as we, as we look at this passage, the title is Forgiving, Teaching, and Admonishing. One of the things I want us to do is, as we look at this passage, just seek, see how we can apply this to our lives, to live together as a church, as one body. So before we do, let me pray. God, thanks for today. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for the fact that we are one body. Father, whether it's in these walls, Father, or as Christians living out among the world. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I pray that we can apply it to their, our lives this morning. Father, I pray that you use me. I pray that my heart is your heart. I pray that my lips are your lips, Father. And we can apply this message. Thanks again for today. Be with us in the next few moments to today. In your name, amen. You know, one of the things, uh, if you have kids, um, one of the things that, with kids, it, it's easy to forgive kids. Uh, I know that I have two little kids. Uh, Caden, our son is six. Langdon, my daughter, is four. And uh, my kids, uh, it's easy to forgive them. Um, it also happens often. My kids are rough on me, uh, physically and emotionally. Um, we like to wrestle, which is great. My daughter is very rough. She wrestles dirty. She fish hooks. She eye gouges. She jumps on my back right from the couch. Uh, and it hurts. Um, I tell her to stop. She does not. Um, am I complaining? A bit. But uh, I forgive her. They're also emotionally, they're tough on me. You know, hey, uh, Dad, are you going to be exercising this evening? Yes, that's good. You need to. Or, hey, Dad, I want to remind you, you have no hair in your head, but it's your ears and nose are full of it. Dad, your breath reeks of coffee. The other day we were having a conversation at the dinner table about Legos. And my son asked when Legos were, had started. We looked it up and we realized it was in the, the 1940s. To which then my daughter asked, Dad, are you older than Legos? And I thought, I do not look 70, but I guess I could be. But we forgive our children on many different things. Why? Because they're, they're, they're immature, they're in, inexperienced, they don't know any better. We do this with our pets a lot too. We forgive them. The other morning, I woke up, I look out, my neighbor, well-to-do neighbor, is out there in his pajamas cleaning up after his dog in the front yard because the dog was too lazy to go out back selfishly. What does the guy do? Just gives him a bone. Good dog. 
We forgive our pets. Again, why? They don't know any better. But when it comes to other people, other Christians, especially people in the church, it's a lot harder. Why? Because we should know better. We should know better. You know, one of the things that this Bible's telling us to do is bear with one another. It's really hard to do. It's not natural for us to forgive each other. Why? Well, there's lots of reasons why. First off, you know, when, when someone has an offense against you, there's power there that you could hold it over them. Say, hey, you know what? You, you offended me. You hurt me. I can hold that over you. There's power there. We're, we're not humble enough to, to, uh, to say, hey, you know what? I forgive you. Because humility is seen as a sign of weakness. Other reasons we don't want to forgive other people is because we feel like, you know what? I'm just justifying what they've done. If I forgive them, that's just saying, you know what, that's okay for what they did. And I've got to tell you, it has nothing to do with that. As we look at this passage this morning, one of the things I want us to think about for a moment is forgiving one another. Forgiveness is one of the most fundamental things we receive and give because it reflects the character of God. This passage this morning, our title is Forgiving, Teaching, and Admonishing. Key verse here is Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. There's nothing that demonstrates God's love more than forgiveness. Nothing. I can't tell you how many times uh, when I do counseling here, um, some of us do counseling here at the church, um, that forgiveness was the key. Because it binds people together as a church. It also frees us from bitterness that we might have. Some of us are living very bitter lives because we don't want to forgive those around us. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's somebody else in the church. I remember some time ago, I was working with a couple, and there was their marriage was a mess. And they've been at each other for years. And after talking and talking about what's going on, I realized that the wife was frustrated and mad at the husband of something that happened 22 years ago. And she hadn't forgiven him. And I said, you're telling me that you're holding something over your husband that he did in 1991. Yep. 22 years of bitterness. 22 years of disunity. Because she was either too humble, too proud, thought she was justifying what he did to forgive him, waiting for him to apologize. That's not what this passage is talking about this morning. But it does free us from bitterness. Not only does it bring us together, it frees us from bitterness. In his book, Lee, The Last Years, Charles Flood reports that after the Civil War, Robert E. Lee visited a Kentucky lady who took him to the remains of a grand old tree in front of her house. There she bitterly cried out that its limbs and trunk had been destroyed by federal artillery fire. She looked to Lee for a word condemning the North or at least sympathizing with her loss. After a brief silence, Lee said, Cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. Cut it down and forget it, she said. Yes, said Lee. It's better to forgive the injustices of the past than allow them to remain. If you don't cut it down, you'll let bitterness take root and poison the rest of the tree. Some of us in the church have issues against others in the church. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's somebody else. And it's bitterness, and it's causing destruction. There's poison there. My encouragement for you this morning is, are you able to bear with one another and forgive each other? Because that's how we live together as a church. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we do that? It's easy to say, okay, forgive. How do we do that? 
Well, that's what this passage is all about. If you have your service sheet or your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. We're in Colossians 3. Colossians 3. Verse 12, it says, Therefore is God's chosen people holy and dearly loved. God's chosen people. We are chosen people. That's why Ephesians 1, 4 says, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. 2 Corinthians 2.13 says, We ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Do we, leave, do we believe that this morning, that we're holy, that we're set apart, that we're differently? We are to live differently in the world. Yes, the world says, you know what? Don't forgive them. You are going to justify them. Don't, be hum- don't have humility because that's a sign of weakness. No, we are different. We're chosen. We need to live differently, set apart. It says bear with one another. How do we do that? Well, it lists it right here. Verse 13 says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Clothe yourself. Put on, it says. In the uh, King James, it says, put on the bowels of compassion. Meaning the inward, putting on in, in, in the inward. Feel it. We need to be put on compassion, kindness, goodness, gentleness, patience, humility. After I preached this last sermon, uh, right uh, in the middle of this, uh, af- between the services, somebody asked me, they said, you know, what if I don't feel it, though? What if I don't feel like uh, being kind? What if I don't feel like forgiving? What if I don't feel it inwardly? Is it okay to start by being kind and compassionate, having humility, so it works towards the inside? And I said, yes. We don't always feel like forgiving. We don't always, we don't have that, people wait for a long time for that. Once I'm moved to forgive, I'll forgive. I say, you know what? Put on these things, compassion, kindness, goodness. To those that, you, that offend you, that hurt you. And let it work towards the inside. Someone offends you. They were talking with him, they were talking about his, his spouse, how, you know, when they get mad, they will, um, will go do dishes or do something kind. And then it calms them down, and then they end up forgiving us. I said, that's great. We need to put on these characteristics right here. Which one? Compassion is the first one. It means pity or mercy. Kindness. Kindness is closely related to compassion. It's, it's the action. Kindness is the action of compassion. It's a, a nice smile. It's a nice deed. It's the hand on the shoulder that says, I forgive you. It's a way of communicating the forgiveness that you give to those around you. That's kindness. It's the action of compassion. We need to be thinking about this and doing this throughout our day. The third quality is humility. This is the hardest one for people to grasp. That's why John Stott says this is the rarest and fairest of all Christian virtues, humility. Why? Because in our society, humility means weakness. It means you look less upon yourself. But that's not what it really means. That's why C.S. Lewis says humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. Which is hard for people to do. Why? Because I always want to think about me first. People in the church, people around us, other Christians, we need to be looking at them first. And say, how do they feel through this? Should I be forgiving them? Can I let go of bitterness? 
hatred, revenge. That's why uh, Jesus said, regard others, or excuse me, Apostle Paul said, regard others better than yourself. Jesus said, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The third characteristic we need to put on in order to bear with one another and forgive each other is gentleness. Gentleness. Gentleness, another translation is meekness. It's strength under control. That's what it means. Strength under control. Why? Because you have the power to hold something over somebody. You have the power to revenge. You have the power to get mad. But you have that strength and you have it under control. And you're saying, you know what? I'm going to give up that right. I'm going to give up my right to hold that over them. I'm going to give up my right to be bitter in my life. That's what, that's what gentleness is. Strength under control. You have your strength under control. Jesus said, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Jesus got ruffled all the time. People were trying constantly to trap him. People were constantly trying to persecute him. He had strength under control. Is your strength under control this morning? A gentle person knows he's a sinner among sinners and is willing to suffer the burdens other sinners may impose on him. The fifth quality is patience. Patience. Literally means long-suffering which is probably the worst word I've ever heard of in my life, long-suffering. It is a negative term. It's patience. It's long-suffering. Why? Because when you forgive somebody, does that mean that they're going to stop offending you or hurting you? Spouses, marriages know this for sure. It's patience. You put up with somebody for the long term. It's not just a a one-time deal. It's long-term. William Barclay says this is the patience is the spirit which never loses patience with fellow men. Their foolishness and their unteachability never drive it to cynicism or despair. Their insults and their ill treatment never turn to bitterness or wrath. We need to have patience with each other. Why? Because we're not perfect. You're not perfect either. Sorry to say that. We're not perfect. We are going to offend other people. We are going to hurt. There's going to be things we do that will offend you. We need to be patient with each other. And then it says bear with each other. It means to endure, to hold out. Bear with each other. We work hard with our hands, says Paul. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. So then it says forgiving each other. Forgiving each other. In the Greek, it's herazima, which means to be gracious. It's a reflective pronoun. I never like to get into what the words mean, but it's a reflective pronoun. Well, Why is that important? Because it literally means forgiving yourself. We forgive because we have already been forgiven. You know, it's interesting. We read the Lord's Prayer every, almost every Sunday. Forgive us of trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Are you really forgiving those who trespass against you? Are we doing that? Why? Because we have already been forgiven. We have already been forgiven. And if Christ can forgive us, we should surely be able to forgive everybody else and those that offend us. Thomas Fuller says, He that cannot be forgive others breaks the bridge over which he himself must pass. For every man has need to be forgiven. Okay, so the million dollar question is, well, how often? How often, Jared? A couple times? I get this in counseling all the time. How often do I forgive somebody who keeps offending me? 
Peter asked the same question, didn't he? In Matthew 18, he says, Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. you got to love Peter. Peter knew that in the Old Testament that they, the law required that, hey, you need to be forgiven, uh, forgive somebody three times. So th- then there's Peter who goes, hey, Jesus, i got one for you. How many times should we forgive somebody? How about seven? How do you like that, disciples? Huh? Not just three, but seven. Seven. Is that enough, Jesus? Is that good enough? Jesus says, no, not seven. Seventy times seven. Some of you are doing the calculation right now. 490, so I'm on like four, <laughs> 470 with this person. 490. Peter's real question is, does forgiveness have a limit? Is what he's asking. And Jesus' response is 70 times 7. Understand that 490 is, for all practical accounts, a number beyond counting. Christ is saying, Peter, it, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not a matter of calculation. It's a matter of the heart. He says, if you really understood forgiveness, you wouldn't be asking about limits. It's a matter of the heart. My professor in uh, seminary told us a, a story of uh, he was dealing with a couple um, and uh, they kept bickering. And one of the things was they kept bickering about is how many times they forgave, forgave each other. Like, well, you forgive me for this, but then I've not forgiven him for that. And they were going on and on. He would see him for weeks at a time. And so what he decided to do was uh, he decided to uh, implement a thing called the fault box. Now, I do not recommend this to anybody, any marriages. But he decided to do a fault box. And what the idea was is that they would have this box and that every time the spouse would um, do something wrong that offended them, they would write it on a piece of paper and put it in the fault box. And that they were going to revisit this thing after uh, about a week. The fault box. I think my wife would probably need a fault locker, but they, they went with the fault box. And so, so the, the wife was diligent. It was not taking out the trash or leaving your, um, leaving your dirty clothes, not putting them in the laundry or, you know, wet, uh, towels on the floor. And she would put them in this box all week until, until the next time they, they got together. And so, the, so when they decided to open up their fault boxes, they exchanged it. And the, the wife, uh, the, excuse me, the man looked, pulled out all his that, the, that he had done wrong. And he looked at all those things. You know, I didn't put my shoes away or left clothes on the floor. Or, you know, I didn't clean up the sink. And the wife opened her box. And on each piece, there was a lot of paper in there. And on each piece of paper, it said the same thing. I love you. I love you. I love you. See, that guy got it. He understood that forgiveness had nothing to do with calculation. It had to do it was a matter of the heart. It wasn't a matter of how many times question is, could we do that? Could we do that? That guy got it. So how do you do this? How do you forgive somebody? First off, you acknowledge that you, you, you've been hurt. I get it. Secondly, we put on these characteristics that allows us to give up our right to get even or angry and let go of bitterness. And we communicate the forgiveness to that person. Then we work on reconciliation. See, that's why it's not justifying what they've done. 
Because you may never be reconciled to them ever. Christ died for us and forgave our sins. Is everybody reconciled to Christ? The guy who cuts me off in his car, I can forgive him all day. I may never be reconciled to him. I can work on that. I can forgive him. I can let go of bitterness. I can let go of anger. I can let go of my right to get even. But forgiveness is a matter of the heart. Not because they were sorry. Understand that when you do forgive, it means three things. First, we don't bring it up. You don't bring it up with that person. Hey, remember the last time I, I, I forgave you? It happens all the time when I'm, when I'm talking with people. It's like, ah, I, hey, I forgave you that thing that happened two years ago. You remember? That happens all the time. That's the first thing we do when we forgive somebody. We don't bring it up with them. The second thing we do is we don't tell everybody else about what's been forgiven. We do this too, don't we? We preface it by saying, now look, I've already forgiven this person, but can you believe what they did to me? They did this, they said this, they did this. I can't believe it. My spouse did this. And, oh, I've already forgiven them. I'm the, I took the upper hand here. I forgave them, but I want to let you know what they did wrong. That's the second thing that forgiveness is. We don't tell everybody else about it. Third thing means that we don't remind ourselves what's been forgiven. How tragic would it be if Christ reminded us all the time of what we've been forgiven for? How, how could we live in a peace like that? See, forgiveness frees us from a life of bitterness and hatred. It allows us to build unity, come together. Because we understand what's already been forgiven. We understand that we've been forgiven. That's why I love Lewis Smead's quote when he says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and then to discover that prisoner was actually you. Because some of us have so much hatred, so much bitterness building up in our life. We forgive because we've been forgiven. In verse 14 it says, of all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together, binding them all together in perfect unity. John 13, 35 says, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if what? You love one another. Love begins with forgiveness that is unconditional. Not, not a calculation, but a matter of the heart. So my question for you this morning is how are you doing with that? How are you doing with forgiveness? Is there somebody that you need to forgive? Are there qualities here that you need to put on in order to do that? As tough as it may be, as much as you may not feel like being kind, feel like being humble, feel like being patient, will you put those on today? How are you doing with that? Verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ then rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. The peace rule in your hearts. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have a peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How could we have peace in the church? How can you have peace with your neighbor, your spouse, somebody else in the church, if you don't have peace in your own life? I tell couples this all the time, especially in premarital counseling. It's like, whoa, you don't have a peace in your life, your marriage is not going to have much peace at all. We need to have a peaceful heart. To maintain peace is to be thankful. Thankfulness is a constant theme of Colossians. Gratitude comes naturally to believers in response to all he's done. A spirit of humble gratitude towards God will inevitably affect our relationship with others. It says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. 
This word rule here is the same word as an umpire. Those of you who watch baseball, you know that an umpire is supposed to be the one that stands there and makes the calls. But when people come and, you know, there's managers coming out and throwing things at them, yelling at them, you know, the baseball players screaming at them, the umpire is supposed to remain calm, steadfast, patient. That's what rule is. No matter what people do to you as Christians, we say, you know what, I forgive you. I'm going to put you first in this. Why? Because we're one body. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why we've titled this past this series, One Another, How We Live Together as a Church. Why? Because of right here. Since we are members of one body. Not multiple bodies. One body. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. As you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms with gratitudes in your hearts to God. What is the word of Christ? The word of Christ is the Bible. It refers to the revelation he brought to the world in Scripture. We need to dwell on it. It's the word enoikio, which means to take up or live in residence in you. Some of you, this is the only Scripture passage you will hear all week. For some of you, you'll hear this message and you'll go right out these doors and forget all about it. And what the Bible's saying, let it dwell in you. Let it take up residence in you so you know what characteristics and qualities you need to put on whether you want to or not. That's why we read it. That's why we understand it. It reminds us of what Christ did to us. Let it dwell in our hearts. Paul then mentions two specific results of the word of Christ dwelling in the believer. One positive, one negative. As you teach and admonish each other with all wisdom. Teach is the positive. It's the impartation of positive truth. Admonish is the negative. It's reminding people the consequences if you don't follow the truth. My encouragement is, is how are we going to teach and admonish if we're not reading the scriptures? If we don't know what the truth is. One of the things that I know that as I'm reading the scriptures, I know what the truth is. It allows me to teach and admonish people around me because I know what the Bible says. I could say with full assurance that the truth is we need to put on those characteristics of, of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience because it allows us to forgive. And I can say too with full confidence of what happens if you don't forgive, if you let it take up residence. Having the word of Christ dwell in us produces not only information, but also emotion. It generates psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms and singing of thankfulness to God. That's what this is all about. It's about thankfulness. It's about praising God for what he's done for us. Knowing that we can forgive others. That's why we sing psalms and thanksgiving. We praise him for what he's done. Because it allows us to do it. Why? Because he set the perfect example of how to forgive. He set the perfect example. I say you can't look to anybody else of, uh, for examples of how to forgive or how to bear with one another or how to live in long-suffering unless you look to Christ because he's the example we set. He set for us. And then finally in verse 17, it says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So my second question for you this morning is, how are you doing with that? Are you letting the Word dwell in you? Are you reading the Scriptures? 
Do you understand what the, what the Bible is saying to you so we can teach and admonish those around us? Are we letting it dwell in us? So when we read this, we can say, you know what, I need to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and bear with each other. And forgive whatever grievance you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's a constant reminder. For reminded of that, it's much easier to bear with one another. It's much easier to forgive. And then we can have joy. There's joy in that. You know, I always tell people that if you're going to forgive, do it with a joyful heart. So many people I see, fine, I forgive you. Christ forgave me. No, we do it out of joy. We live a life of joy. We could do it with a, a heart full of gratitude. I leave you with a quote. Gratitude goes beyond the mind and mind and claims the truth that all of life is a pure gift. In the past, I always thought, says Henry Nowen, of gratitude as a spontaneous response to the awareness of gifts received. But now I realize that gratitude can also be lived as a discipline. The discipline of gratitude is the explicit effort to acknowledge that all that I have is given to me as a gift of love, a gift to be modeled and celebrated with joy. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Father, thank you for your, your word. Father, thank you for your example that you've set for us of how we can bear with one another and live together as a church. Father, I pray that no matter how hard it is, maybe we don't feel like it, but we put on these qualities that you've listed here, Father, so we can be united as one, as one church, as one body of believers. Thanks again for today, Father. I pray that we are not just hearers of the word, but we're doers of it. In your name.